Good evening. Good evening and welcome to the Academy. My name's Krish Majumdar. I'm the chair of BAFTA's television committee. Uh, welcome to this masterclass, uh, The Craft of Comedy Entertainment. Um, I just want to say a few words about BAFTA before I introduce our esteemed uh, panel. I don't know how many of you know, but BAFTA's an academy and we're a charity and we do events like this throughout the year. We're not just an awards-giving body. Uh, but having said that, our awards are now open this year for entry, so if you'd like to enter, please go on the BAFTA website, uh, BAFTA.org, to look uh, at all the rules and criteria and eligibility. And one important announcement to make, we have a new category this year. Um, it is for short form. Uh, we, BAFTA, have recognised that there's a huge amount of new short form content um, being uh, out uh, being put out there by different platforms and the broadcasters as well. So that's it's a really great opportunity, uh, especially for new talent, I think. It recognises uh, a lot of new talent. So please spread the word about our new short-form category. And we have uh, a masterclass uh, about short-form work on the 20th uh, of November, where we'll have uh, a brilliant panel, much like this, uh, sharing the craft and the art form of making short form content. So please come along to that. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is, um, BAFTA is about two things for me. It's about excellence, which are the awards, and inspiration. And it's events like this, where we have access to some of the best talent that's working in the industry, who give up their time to share the insights they have about making brilliant programs. So please, um, at the end, ask questions. Um, you know, it's a resource for you to hopefully be inspired. Um, and I'd just like to introduce the panel now. We have the brilliant Ben Wicks, Joe Bunting, Poppy Delbridge, Alan Connor, and our host, uh, Andy Devonshire. So thank you very much. So good evening, everyone, and, and welcome to tonight's chat. I hope it's, uh, it's going to be fun and enlightening. Um, so our panel, Jo Bunting, says here she's a writer and executive producer. Of, uh, have I got news for you? BAFTA winning, uh, have I got news for you? Also, I'm not, actually. I ought to just correct that. I am an executive producer on something, but not on Have I Got News For You. Series producer. Oh, beg your pardon. Spring Live series. Words. Words. Yeah. That is my fault, though, because I did erroneously claimed to be that. Well, she's, she's a big cheese. <laughs> and you're here now. So. Of many names. But there are people here that know that's not true, so I've had to, I've had to Busted. correct that. Busted, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but also, at the moment, you're doing the spin-off show to The Great British Bake Off, an extra slice. And Don't ask me anything about that, because I'm so tired and I can't remember where you are and how much I know. <laughs> so, and I don't want to spoil it, and I might. And most recently, she's been commissioned by BBC Radio 4 to write and host a topical pilot featuring a predominantly female panel called Where the F Where's the F in News? Yep, it's a good title, and that's at the moment as far as I've got. <laughs> but um, but there's, a sh there's definitely a show to be made, I hope, because I'm going to try and make it in December. So. Keyword, it's been commissioned, though. Yeah, as a one-off at this stage, yeah, transmittable pilot. I didn't know that. I thought there's an awful lot of fuss about this, literally. Um, it was on the BBC website, and I thought, crikey, normally you're allowed to fail quite quietly with pilots. We've all been there. And, uh, no, apparently it was, you know, it, it is a transmittable pilot. So luckily I know that now. 
Well, it's Christmas a <laughs> long time away, so you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, you do. And then at the end here, Alan Connor, the writer, who uh, has written for just about everything. Rich Lodsman's House of Games, Have I Got News For You, Eight, eight Out Of Ten Cats. Written comic material for Catelyn Moran, Sue Perkins and Charlie Brooker. And his work for Charlie included the end of year wipe, the weekly wipe and the election wipe. A successful narrative writer as well, apparently, it says here. <laughs> Credits including Nigel Farage gets his life back and the rack pack. Citation needed, I think, should, be, should follow that. Uh, yeah, lots of looking at the world and trying to imagine how people might find it funny rather than harrowing, I guess. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> harrowing and harrowingly funny. And then Poppy Delbridge, Head of Entertainment Development at Wall to Wall. Almost 15 years' experience. <coughs> Close to almost 15. Is yeah. it far off? I look about 15 as well, which <laughs> bamboozles people, but yeah. <laughs> so from Zeppatron, 8 out of 10 cats, that's where you know each other, I guess. Screen wipe and would I lie to you? Worked at most of the major indies. I mean, basically, she's done everything. So she's in charge. Uh, and so you're basically one of, yeah, one of TV's most powerful women, apparently, oh, in the national press. I was. I Broadcast was. hotshot. Slipped down the road a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but actually, at the moment, you're running your own division within Wall to Wall. Yes. Is that right? Yes, I am. Yeah. And what's that entail? A lot of hard work uh, and uh, just sort of running a department of a few people, really. Uh, come up with entertainment mainly, but also some funny things. We've done some stuff together. Um, it's all about development. It's all about development. Yeah, I do the ideas and uh, then I work out how to sort of try and sell those ideas and then look after them if they get taken up. So you said in, in the bar that, that you, you love the first run things, make up new formats. Yeah, I do. You've got to have passion for it. If you do development, you're constantly being rejected. So you've really got to, got to have a, like an ironclad sort of, yeah, armour about it and just be constantly positive. Uh, yeah. So you can share your best moment and your worst moment of, devel of development Oh, my God. In about 30 seconds? Well, we've got uh, an hour. <laughs> best moment, you get to uh, work with brilliant people, brilliant comedians, brilliant talent. Had lots of fun stories about that. Worst moment is probably not getting something because of a political thing, um, which you would probably know, or something out of your own hands that you really believe in. Um, that was very serious, isn't it? Ooh. Yeah, it's common entertainment. Yeah, God, <laughs> lighten up. Um, best thing, you get to do fun stuff for a living every day. It's very varied. Development's brilliant. Lovely. And uh, we have Ben Wicks, creative director, common entertainment, Expectation. Hello. <laughs> so, joined Expectation Entertainment in August as creative director? Uh, yeah, so I have very little to say since I've been there for two days. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the sort of experience you were looking to hear? But you were executive producer on The Last Leg? Yes. And how long did you do that for? Four years. So from the beginning? No. No. If that's the experience you're looking for, I'm not the guy. No, I joined just after London. Yeah. We just want your experience, whatever it is. So what else? Where else? And you've just done Game for Grenfell. Yeah. Which I missed, but sounded amazing. It was good, it was good. Dave, are you aware of Dave? Dave? Not the channel, channel the, the grime artist. Oh yeah. Dave, it was a pitch invasion and we had some of the biggest celebrities in the country playing. So many, so many, that's not like Donald Trump, so many people, <laughs> and amazing names. Um, and Dave was the one who got mobbed. He's, wow. watch for Dave. He's huge, he's gonna be huge. But no, it was great, we, we, you know, we, we only had three weeks to turn it around and, um, 
We, uh, Adam Hills did an amazing job as host, and I think that the average rate in the UK telethon is 2% um, of viewers donate, and that got 10%, which was really impressive, I think. Brilliant. And well done, Adam. There you go. Mm -hmm. Great. But your other, other credits are Alan Carr's Spectacular, Harry Hill's Tea Time, and producing <coughs> Have I Got News For You. Have you two worked together then? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, you... Because I'm so old, I, I, there's a lot of people that I remember from when they were about 12, and now they're like wearing media glasses and <laughs> creative directors. See-through, they're, they're not um, fake. They're... But yeah, Ben was producer, and when I was serious producer, so yeah. But did we do the last election? I can't remember. No, not the I think I left reason, by then. But, yeah. but we, we did Shatner. Oh, William Shatner, my favourite one ever. What a day. That was a fantastic... He nearly didn't make it into the country because he was quizzed at the, at the border, you know, the, the passport control, and he had, to, um, he had to say, he had to remember the name of the programme. And the man said, uh, so what, 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 what are you here to do? I'm here to host your show. What are you up to? What have you been doing lately? Wheeled <laughs> <laughs> off an array of yeah. wrong names. And, yeah. um, he knew it was quite long, yep. but he couldn't quite remember what the individual words were. But I think even then he was 80. Yeah. And... Um, it's a long day for the guest host, and he was absolutely... From the minute no. the doors slid open at great expense, um, and he emerged and to a great reception, he was absolutely brilliant. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that, although... But we could do an hour on it. We could do an hour on that. <laughs> I'd feel a bit more confident. So um, quite a lot anyway. of politics in there, then. Was Frank Skinner's opinionated and revolution will be televised? I guess there. Yeah, they were sort of... Poly yeah, Frank, Frank Skinner's opinionated was a bit like question time, but without... Uh, with, without you know, any real serious news. You were on location for that one. Yeah, we went to Norwich many times. I know you did. Um, and, uh, yeah, we went around the country. Worst moment was, uh, just to um, replicate that question, um, was when we were, because Frank is a brilliant, one of the sharpest minds in the country, and you do not want to let him down. You do not want to be sat on a train at Euston Station thinking you're going to Manchester when the next train or the next track sets off and you're on the one going to Liverpool, and you were then very, very late. You don't want that to happen, and that happened. Oh, no. Uh, but no it's, it's and you were stuck on the train with him? Yeah. It was good. He, you know, he was forgiving, actually. Actually, Paul McGettigan, who I was working with then, didn't work on the next series, and I do wonder if that was the reason why. <laughs> <It's connected>. Train booking <laughs> skills. Brilliant. Okay, so uh, we actually have apologies from Dan Baldwin, who was going to be here tonight, but couldn't make it, so <laughs> sorry about that. Got us. So... Um, because I'm chairing it, we get to show a clip from a show that I make. That's part of the contract. <laughs> so we'll start with... How long is this clip? <laughs> 20 minutes. So um, here is a little bit of Taskmaster. <coughs> Hi. Hello, Bob. Hello, Nish. How's it hanging? What do you mean? How are you doing? Okay. Make marmite. You have 10 minutes to select your ingredients. And then 10 minutes to make your marmite. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it takes them longer to make marmite than that. Anyway. <laughs> marmite wins. I'm going to be brilliant at this. How much would you give me to take a... Eight pounds. Now, it's, uh, now I'm thinking of bubble that says beef extract on it. Well, it's yeast extract. How would they extract it? I better have some yeast just in case. What is yeast? Maybe have put a cow in a wound to the withers? 
my favourite moment that is actually not in the clip later on is when uh, Sally Phillips actually gives Alex a jar of absinthe which was I think it was, was it 84 or 94% proof it's basically <laughs> pure alcohol and we sat in the room and watched him uh, take one bite of a slice and was instantly completely drunk <laughs> his, his face turned completely red <laughs> and then just laughed they just both laughed at therapy for 20 minutes it was, it was you know it was Mildly amusing. <laughs> and, and by the way, the cow thing doesn't work. We did try it for the... <laughs> um, so apparently we are here to uh, look into the um, state of common entertainment because apparently there's a renaissance in it. That basically, commissioners and channels have a, a greater hunger for common, common entertainment. And uh, we're here to sort of briefly discuss that in terms of what we do and, and, and how the state of the nation is or the state of the, um, the genre. And I know it's... I mean, the hardest thing for me is that it's such a broad brushstroke that actually common entertainment covers so many different things, so many different styles. I mean, you know, not least all the stuff that we work on. It's, there's a quite a broad run across those things. But maybe if we start with, um, with Poppy. Hello. <laughs> so as a Renaissance woman, yeah. how do you consider the state of common entertainment at the moment? You know, I think it is, I think it is back, as people are saying, because, um, you know, I, I think I've got more commission pilots in the last month I'm having the last five years, which either says, which is basically all of maybe one. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's about two, two or three things that I think people are jumping on now, and I think that your show is partly to blame for that, which is brilliant. Because Taskmaster is so amazing, beautiful, and beautifully made. Well done, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <Nick>. <laughs> done that bit. Um, and I think it is back, and I think that people are investing a bit more in sort of chaotic comedy, and I think people are looking beyond the kind of static comedy entertainment that people used to think about cats and, you know, will I lie to you and things like that, and have I got news for you? And I think people are looking maybe a bit more, what I'm finding, a bit more into the sort of celebrity juice world and the success of that, things like Taskmaster being a lot of it outside of the studio, but based in the studio. I think, I feel like it's a little bit freer as a genre at the moment. And if you can get your talent on board and you can get a decent idea, I think people are listening. I think a lot of the broadcasters are, are actively asking for it, which they haven't done for ages and ages and ages, I think. I don't know what everyone else thinks. What, why? I, I th I'm going to ask questions, because then yeah. I don't have to betray my ignorance by answering any of them. But <laughs> Taskmaster took a while to get away, didn't it? Yeah. Mm. And so I wonder what's, ch what's mm. changed, because I think when something brilliant comes along, and I think for me, that is definitely one. Another one I remember was Gogglebox, and you suddenly saw it and you thought, oh God, that's such a brilliant and yet simple idea. Mm. 
how annoying that, mm. you know, that <laughs> I didn't think of it. But you, you just sort of thought, yeah, suddenly I, it's something that's a little bit different. I think Harry Hill's latest series was also, it just felt different and creative. Mm. But I just, I wonder then, because I don't, I never have worked in development, but what, is that because of the people commissioning the programmes mm. changes? Because certainly in my experience, I sometimes think, what what do they what is their background it often mm, isn't in mm, particularly comedy. in making those yeah. shows do they like it even so do yeah. you think that's what's changed yeah it could it could be that i think that because entertainment at sky for example they've just they've come and now said we're back made a big splash about it and have, and have said we haven't really been doing it um so i think that it absolutely depends on your commissioner i think that's a huge thing actually because it's such a niche little world actually comedy entertainment and a lot a lot of us know each other which is quite weird um and you know the agents you know the talent and i think if you get someone who actively loves it at a channel you're on to a winner and there are a few of them around um i'm willing to take a risk i'm willing to take a risk yeah i'm willing to sort of do things where it's a hard it's a hard genre because it's so subjective as you'll know you know trying to make people laugh is really hard um, so to back something, it's about sort of laying yourself on the line, really, isn't it? As a commissioner, and everyone, you know, people like to keep their jobs in telly. They don't want a commission of failure. So um, I think I think people are investing in more pilots, which will help that. Mm. So pe people can sort of give things room to breathe and get the dynamics right before it goes onto telly, which is crucially important. I think mm. people are spending money that way now. They weren't. I'm finding that, you know, because I'm obviously having these initial conversations, having only just moved into development, and I'm finding every, you know, across the board, because of Taskmaster sort of changing, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, it's such a neat, brilliant idea, and it's so well executed. Yeah. People want to be more adventurous. I think it really has yeah. changed things in a way yeah. that perhaps no other comedy entertainment show has done for years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so well done. Do I get a tick? Or yeah, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Sorry. yeah, thank you. <laughs> Uh -huh. I, I concur. Ah, yeah. Great, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> right. right. No, I found <laughs> that it, even with some shows that, that aren't particularly like Taskmaster, that comparison gets gets drawn. So with Richard Osman's House of Games, which ran for three weeks at, at tea time, I don't think it was particularly like Taskmaster, but the, the comparison was sort of made by, by viewers and inside the industry, and I think that was because it was quite nice and Taskmaster's quite nice and, and mm. warm and feels like a nice place mm. to be. But I think that the, um, the, the openness to, to new formats only works if there's not too much pressure on, on the, the first episode of the show that goes out. So this year I had the, uh, the privilege to be involved in the pre-production of both the, the nightly show and host the week. Um, which ran for various durations. And um, in both of those, there was far too much pressure already by the time anyone came in and said, hello and welcome to the first episode, that the, the, the TV people's expectation of the viewer's expectation was, was, was frenzied and fervid. And um, with a lot of shows, if they get sort of over-promoted, the viewers are already, before they've even seen it, going, stop trying to make me like your fucking show. I'll decide, you know. Yeah. Oh, best show ever, is it? I hate it, and they've not even seen <laughs> yeah. a second of it. I, I think also, that not that, well, 
I do quite like talking about shows that weren't that good because it just makes you think, oh, at least that one wasn't me. Um, <laughs> but, but you always think, yeah. you know, the next one might be. I, I, I didn't think it was that bad, and I think it might even be coming back. So I'm only saying this because I know it's, it wasn't a complete disaster. But I think the main problem with the nightly show was if you're going to do a topical show, don't shift the news for it because mm. probably your viewers quite like the news. And I thought that was an extraordinarily arrogant thing to do, which is a complete scheduling thing and nothing to do with anyone that makes these shows. And I think you're right that that immediately put a great deal of pressure on it to deliver to an audience that's actually thinking, Where, where's my news gone? Mm. Um, so I think uh, giving programs of chance and, and if you remember back another topical show 10 o'clock live which again the company making it didn't want a huge fuss they wanted it to allow it you know the show to find its feet and there it was on every bus and every post a massive you know the four hosts everywhere and again it was cover of metro fake cover of it, Metro that yeah, day. It was, people were sick of that show but how, we had how, written any yeah. gags. And, and unfortunately, the picture of the four of them, they did look quite smug. And they had <laughs> nothing, nothing to do with that publicity drive at all. It, it, was, it was so unjoined up, you know, people making the show and the people publicising, all no doubt with, with very good intentions. But anyway, but the point is, I think that that's something that new shows should be allowed to do, which is to, yeah, not... not just give them a, a chance to bed in because it is a very, very different, especially topical comedy, I think, is in this day and age when you're trying to do Have I Got News For You and Grenfell's still burning and you think, I don't, I don't really think we can kind of even nod to it like we might be able to do with a, a terrorist attack. It, it's become a very difficult area to work in and very difficult to get right. And I think it helps if, if it's given a chance, which mm. neither of those were given a great chance. And also they're on big channels as well. And I think from doing things, I think I totally agree with you, from doing things like, you know, uh, Celebrity Juice and I did a thing called Sweat Small Stuff, no one, know, no one knows what that was. They were like, BBC Three are doing a panel show. Mm. Um, but that then got <coughs> five series because it sort of mm, went yeah. under the radar. And also we had new talent that we just workshopped loads and loads and loads before... We got there and we took the talent in to Zai Bennett at the time, who was controller of BBC Three. And I think that helped because I think things like Seven to Juice weren't, um, you know, I don't think they were brilliant at when they started, but people just got to know that dynamic gradually. And, and then really, and really the viewers felt more loyal viewers, to it. Because loyal, yeah. They so what, what the marketing they schedule people it, yeah. need to do is find the trick of making people know about something without realising that they've been made to know about it. <laughs> so that they think they've discovered it and, mm. and therefore uh, express that loyalty in lovely yeah. ways. Or no one ever knows about yeah. it and you just make it and enjoy it. <laughs> That's yeah, the ideal, wouldn't it? I think, I think Channel 4 did learn, though, because the, you know, the last leg, obviously, mm. it had a successful series during the Paralympics. But then when it launched as a topical show, I don't think there was much of a hoopla. And then it allowed it to sort of take, you know, it took certainly three or four series really to mm. bed in. Mm. And thankfully, it was given that time and it was given that space and it, and, it, and it benefited enormously from that freedom. So there was no huge pressure placed on it. And then that paid dividends. 
So what was the difference, though, you know, for that show that's not under that kind of pressure? What made the difference to that show that gave it three or four series to bed in? Rather well, I think well, several factors. I mean, obviously, the fact that the, the talent were sort of, I guess, the, the talent Live was something of a super group, whereas, whereas um, Josh, Alex and Adam, you know, Adam, um, the, the, the Adam's more established as a, as a piece of talent, I suppose, when the show began, but they were all kind of new to British television and, and therefore were really up for, you know, smashing how um, shows tend to be made up a little bit and investing lots of time and energy. And, you know, we have on the show, I've left it now, but we had sort of, you know, all-day writing sessions with all the talent there for three days with writers and producers in the room, which is a real rarity, I think. And, and because they were willing to invest that much time and effort, a great deal of care and attention went into helping the show grow. But also they had... Because there was sort of ten shows during the London Olymp uh, the London Paralympics, that there was a, a real kind of brilliant way of making sure that you know getting them to gel and building up their their sort of, sort of sitcom-like nature of their banter, for want of a better word, banter. Um, do I have to leave now? <laughs> um, but it, but it, you know it, it was it, it you know it, there's no better way of getting an entertainment uh, company entertainment format right than sort of having it after a big event like Extra Slice is brilliant because. The whole nation watches Bake Off, and it's a funny show immediately after it. You want that. You want that. Not immediately after it. Not immediately after it. <laughs> Two days. Two days. I've not watched it. And a it. completely different time of the year. <laughs> but, but then, having said that, like both, uh, both Bake Off and Apprentice had their apprenticeship on BBC Two. That, that, was, their sort of, that was their growing mm. nursery, whatever mm. it is. Mm. That was, you know, that the nursery slopes. And, and then, you know, because there was something that was, you know, it's just a baking show. I mean, The Apprentice, I think, had more of a more of something, more of a legacy to work towards because of the, you know, American show hosted by that great guy. But I think that, you know, having that opportunity <laughs> in that time to, um, to get going made it, you know, gave it the opportunity. Mm. But it is that thing, you know, it's, it is quite intriguing to see, you know, what was the magic thing that gave you the extra bump to say, you know, you can survive, whereas, you know, you haven't got a, a big gun against your head to actually get your five million or whatever you need to get. Mm. It's tricky, you know, it's tricky and, yeah. I don't think there's an answer to it, but it is intriguing. I mean, uh, in terms of Taskmaster development, um, I made a film with Alex seven years ago, something like that, and he was doing Taskmaster at that time in, in Edinburgh. He, he did the, uh, the Edinburgh show. And very soon after that, we worked it up and we were shopping around and things like that, and it did go to a few people, and you know, some of whom turned it down, who then we got on to the Taskmaster Does Edinburgh, which was sweet revenge. Um, <laughs> But it was, it was one of those things. I mean, it goes kudos to Dave, really, uh, Dave, uh, the channel, UK TV, um, because they took the gamble. Um, and, I, I mean, basically, I did a show for them uh, called Ross Noble Free Wheelie. We did the, I did the first series of that, where it was basically Ross Noble would tweet out saying to his followers, I don't know, half a million followers or whatever, what should I do today? And, and we went and did it. And basically, he went off on his bike, and we followed him around. And in the meetings of that, when we have the panel of people to sort of, you know, get the big tick to go ahead on the series, they would say, well, you know, what's he going to do then? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I literally yeah. don't know. And they trusted. And they, they gave us money. Idiots. And we went away. <laughs> and we made the show. And, 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 and that, to be honest, was one of the clinching things when we came back and we went into to Dave and talked to them about Taskmaster. It was that thing where the trust that you have there, where it's this thing about, you know, I don't know, I can't tell you what it is, but you know, mm. you know that we will work until we nearly die to make it mm. great and to make it look beautiful, to make it work and make it funny, all those things. And it's, but it is that thing where you have a, a sense of trust. I mean, not least the sort of health and safety and the sort of um, compliance people who are just 
utterly ashen face when it comes to these <laughs> things and gave this massive list of things that we might or might not be able to do, basically nothing. <laughs> um, but, you know, honestly, there was that, that time at which doing that show really enamoured me to people who you go in and, you know, we all want to work with people we, we, we like and admire and can basically spend a lot of time with. Mm. Um, it's not always comfortable when you work with, with a lot of people because you go through difficult things because everyone's got an opinion. Um, we've just done the uh, American version of Taskmaster where I had to email cuts to 45 people. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Uh. But um, it's one of those things where you sort of think, oh, you know, and actually loads of them were, were, was absolutely fine, but you go into this, this arena where, obviously, as soon as you get more than £10 to go and make something, other people have input. Yeah. And all of, you know, I think all of our work is dependent on finding the right people in the right time, the right cocktail and, and chemistry of people. I mean, you know, Taskmaster is Alex Horns, you know, he is the epicentre of all of that. His drive, his genius, and his, he's, got, he's, he's someone that's got a brilliant head on his shoulders. He's a brilliant producer as well as a great comedian. And so him, with him at the heart and the, the work and sweat that he puts in, everything revolves around that, really. It's a very small team. There's, there's three of us that, that make it with a, a... You know, there's probably five or six people that regularly do it because it's, you know, there's a lot of, lot of days going into those things. But, you know, having that trust from the people that you're commissioned by makes such a difference. Because, again, you know, it's, it was that thing when, you know, day one when we do these things, because we did do kind of tests in the, the Taskmaster. I mean, the Taskmaster is the smallest place in the world. It's really smelly, and it's just a bit run down. And so when we, we started off in there on a cold sort of, I think, like October or something, it's only three years ago, but it was, you know, we literally didn't know where we were going with it. And we had Frank, I think Frank wasn't our first day, but it was quite early on there. And we also, we went in not knowing what we were going to do, and, but we just knew that there was something in there, and we knew that we... Um, had something to make. We knew we wanted something to make. You know, we knew we wanted to make these things and how they'd cut together and how they'd then work in the studio. I mean, it was it was really hard the first series mm. because you know that cocktail of of seven comedians working across such a long period of time uh, to make one thing was really tricky. But we again we had trust and we had um, people that we liked working with and ways in which we could actually move forward and make it work. Mm. And it is about confidence, I think, as well, in, in yourself as much as, you know... I, I think you, you kind of get to a stage, well, you, you probably have done, where, where you think, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm confident that I'll be able to make something out of it, that I'll, you know... I think with something like that, there could be the awful situation where you think, I, I'm not entirely sure I can make anything out of this, you know, but you... you you know, it's a risk for you, that kind of programme, isn't it? And I think it's nice. I quite enjoy that. It's like, that's why I enjoy topical comedy, because the risk every week is... Mm. I mean, we've talked about new ideas and formats, and I'm partly here as a representative of a, you know, 25-year-old <laughs> panel show. Uh, and, and I'm a firm fan of them, by the way, and I think there's room for, you know, just because you want more of one doesn't necessarily mean you have to completely offload everything else. And the thing about that particular show is that every week is... How do you keep it fresh? Well, because the news is different every week. Mm. Um, but you don't know what it's going to be, and it is driving your agenda. So there's a certain risk to that, actually. And I think a lot of comedy did become quite safe and quite boring, and people behind desks doing something that's quite structured... And I think there's an anarchy to Taskmaster, but also I, th I think a sort of inbuilt 
you know, you, you might get half a dozen of, of those people going into a room to make Marmite, and, and they're not funny with it. But I think you know that between you and your skill set of the group that are doing it, I've just used the word skill set, I'm so sorry, um, that you will, that, you, that, that you'll be able to do it. And I, I like that confidence. I mean, I love making, you know, first format, first format things. It is, it's a generally exciting thing, and it's quite often that I go into things utterly terrified, not knowing that something's going to go right. And that's a really good driving force, mm. as well as slightly terrifying. I mean, basically, I think it was our first day film. It's certainly our first day film with Romesh, when uh, one of the uh, tasks they had to do in Series 1, thankfully the last one of the day, was um, eat as much watermelon as you can in, in a minute. Eat as much water as, much watermelon watermelon as you can yeah, in yeah, a minute. Yeah, Romesh ran that. into the room, smashed it on the floor, and then hoovered it up. <laughs> was basically throwing up whilst hoovering it back into his, <laughs> oh, <laughs> into his mouth. And you thought, we've got a show. He, well, yeah. no, he, he then spent um, probably 20 minutes in the, uh, in the toilet really? trying to regurgitate a bit of lodged watermelon. Oh, basically thought we'd killed him and yeah. thought that was the end of everything. <laughs> oh. Luckily, he uh, still likes watermelon. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so Poppy creating a format, yeah. working up a format. Yeah. Uh, you're going to talk about a music show, that music show. Is that the one? Yeah, I We've will. We've got some clips. Should yeah. we start? You want to start with the clip, or do you want to say something? Into uh, it? Uh, well, th well, this this was a, a straight-to-air pilot, so we were talking about giving things room to breathe. This is sort of not. This is sort of didn't have room to breathe, but it came out of a tender that was put out by Channel Four because they wanted to do a sort of new music panel show, comedy entertainment show, um, and lots of people pitched in. Uh, it was quite unusual because they pitted two of us against each other. Princess had one. I had one at Wall to Wall. And then they aired them both. Um, and fight. Then it was a fight. <laughs> and then they kind of sort of looked at the ratings. But anyway, have a look. This sort of, we'd never, ever done this. We'd never workshopped it, never rehearsed it. We shot it <laughs> uh, on not a load of money. And then they moved it to a primetime slot. Made a lot of noise about it. Uh, and this is what we created. I, I, I think it's quite good. Um, but yeah, I can talk a bit about the process of how it came to be and, and, and eventually why they didn't pick up a series. But here's a little bit of it. Marvellous, thank you. Be a witchcraft, I reckon, knows the first line to this. Be I know that I used to learn it my friend at school. Okay, do you run now? Okay, do you mind? Back up, dancer. Right. You can be the back of the You can turn sideways like LV. You, no, you yeah, should be Michelle Pfeiffer, Sean. Use Michelle Pfeiffer. You be Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, you be the yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 First primal scream, now this. Yeah. Yeah. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing. <laughs> Deep in the English countryside, not a soul stirs. All is silent, apart from the call of the birds and the gentle sounds of two pop stars from yesteryear firing shotguns. Representing 1995, if you got groped in a phone party during the 90s, chances are this man wrote the soundtrack. <laughs> Is Tony Mortimer? Sorry. Along with his band, East 17, he was responsible for this. Tony, take your weapon. He's going to be taking on one of 2005's greatest rap legends. Born with only one name, it's Maggot from Goldie Looking Chain. You know it. Goldie Looking Chain, a band with a message. Are we sure about this? Giving him a go. Our competitors meet for the first time. 
you should be good at this. You're used to destroying music. We sell 20 million records, mate. Yeah, it was easier back then. Back then, men were men with real names like Tony and Brian. Of course, they're keeping maggots. So, is it true the Flying Harvey was the brains of the operation? Don't you think it's unfair that rappers like Tupac and Biggie are dead and Goldie looking Chain is still alive? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> The rules are simple. They each have 20 rounds to obliterate their records. Down on the range, it is time to start the match. Fucking ages, Spice Girl. I should have known it'd be you, Robbie. And they're off! Hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was a pilot that went out. The gist of it was we, um, we wanted it to be quite anarchic. It was set in uh, the electric. Uh, in which is gig venue in Brixton, and uh, we had basically people from two years pitted against each other. It's a bit like throwbacks. So Michelle Gale, Maggot, like people, you know, it's quite fun, quite nostalgic. And uh, they did a music quiz, and that was a VT from it. But yeah, um, the process. What, what would be interesting to tell you about that? So it went out head to head with Princess. Yeah, it did. Banged into prime time. Yeah. You knew it was going to be a transmitted pilot when you made it. Uh, yes, we, we thought they would transmit. Um, I had just done some stuff with Nick Grimshaw, small stuff, and then uh, I got him to host this. Um, and they were pitted, and we looked at the ratings, and we were Who quite won? excited. We won. We won. We got, I think we got nearly a million in the end, uh, which back then, well, now, you'd be like, yay. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and, and I think the others didn't, didn't do so well, but, they, um, but then they put out uh, TFI Friday in the end. Uh, so development people everywhere were like, uh, you know, uh, what can you do? But uh, I think it's important to spend money not on telly. I think it's really, really crucial to do things like that again and again. Because the first go. Um, and like you were saying, so much noise attached to something at the time can be quite harmful. Um, and so now I think things have changed. So I think if we'd have had a go at that now, and that was maybe, when was that? 2013, I think they were doing that music thing. Uh, 2013, I think we'd have a good go at it. There's got to be space for music, a music show yeah. now, surely. So, so yeah. why aren't you dusting that one off? Yeah, I might do. Yeah, mm. it was Channel 4, so maybe now Jay's gone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get with the others and dust out our stuff. It's that pilot thing is, it's tricky, isn't it? So you want to get your pilot right. The thing yeah. with Host the Week was the pilot was far better than anyone expected. So there was a kind of a rough pilot, and then there was a, a quite high-budget one with mm. Ronan Keating coming in. He didn't know what he was going to be doing as host. He had to read a sort of roast of himself on autocue and then go into various sketches. And it was... Mm. You watched it and went, wow, this... Uh, you really feel like you're in the room with this person. You feel sympathetic to them. There's now this cast of, uh, of improvisers who could become new stars on Channel mm. 4. But the, the pilot was, was sufficiently good mm. um, that, that its slot got changed to a much higher profile one. And uh, so, yeah, fuck up your pilot, yeah. I guess. Is... <laughs> yeah. But not too much. And do it yeah. cheap. Just do enough. It cheap. <laughs> Just get that golden <laughs> zone. Right. We can't. Yeah. Don't kill anyone, but don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But did it also never occur to anyone that the, the whole premise of that was that you would have a completely different person every week? And on the basis of one show with one person who wouldn't ever be doing it again, they thought this is a winner. 
I mean, it's sometimes quite breathtaking how lacking in a sort of understanding these people are. There's some TV people who don't know how TV works. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there are lots that do. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's weird that, that sort of overconfidence when the whole premise of the show is we are taking a massive risk. And obviously I know from... Have I got news to be that you're working with a different host? I mean, we have a lot of returning ones now, but when you do have a what we refer to as a novel, well, I do a novelty host, you know, someone who's never done it before and it's a little bit of a kind of weird one, it, it's, you know, it's quite stressful and it could crash and burn and certainly has done in the past. So, yeah, it, it's just strange that your instinct there with a new one wouldn't be, or let's, yeah, let's give this a series tucked away somewhere mm. and then... And let it find its own rules, particularly within... An improv based Absolutely. show. And see what works, what doesn't. I mean, there's so many unknowns there as well, because like, sketches are always tricky to get right. You've got, yeah. Anyway. But then would the answer be to have multiple pilots or, or to have a uh, secluded? Uh, I, I think just don't, uh, I think probably just don't give it a, a, a really exposed slot, actually, mm. yeah, probably. Absolutely. And as you say, I do think people absolutely find things. I mean, I'm going to say that I don't watch anything else on Dave apart from Taskmaster. And uh, I'll find it. <laughs> I mean, literally nothing. Um, and, yeah, uh, but I will find it. You know, I've heard about it, I know about it, and, and I will find it. So people will, you know, mm. word does get around, the press will pick up on uh, another just going the, the, the sort of risk taking with someone new being thrown into something a successful version of that for me was murder and successful which is another format which i think is was really just so you thought this is so fresh and brilliant That's and fun. you know difficult and yet they're pulling it off so well and and actually were you anything to do with that andy no no, no i don't know why you were <laughs> just because it was good so i assumed you might andy be um anyway so it can work and that that works, but, you know, they're always difficult. So I, I, I just, and that's uh, BBC Three, I think, isn't it? So uh, that's online. So again, it's a little bit sort of mm. protected, but people have definitely found it and they always will. If there's a good show, people will always find it. And tell their mates. Yeah. Mm. But, but develop, on a development level, actually, scaling things back can be really helpful. And I think inviting people to see whatever you're doing at very early stages is really vital. Like, for example, Sometimes, I don't know if you found this, but sometimes I would say no to a pilot. I'd rather do a run-through in the room for comedy entertainment because I think sometimes you get some money, get a pot of money, pilot, and then it, suddenly it turns into, let's add a couple more cameras. Oh, let's do this with it. Or let's add a few graphics. Let's do this. And then you sort of end up making this sort of run-through, really, that is sort of a pilot. And then I think people look at it with sort of different eyes. And I think, actually, sometimes mm. the best comedy... Uh, it's happening right then and there, isn't it? It's in the room, you know. Like, Have I Got News For You records at an amazingly fast pace because you just got it nailed and you've got there great people. There are times when that isn't the case. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but, but it's it, I, I mean, it's, it is genuinely interesting because there is that thing where at what point do you press the button and what point do you... Because c certainly mm. some things work like that, mm. but other ones... You have to see beyond the idea. Is that about your relationship with the people that you're pitching it to? Would there be some yeah. people that you'd say, let's get in a room and talk, let's get some people in a room and mess about? Yes, yes. Other ones that you say you have to have something with bangs and whistles, yes. especially music and 
Absolutely. Tick. Yeah, it depends on who your person is if they get it, I think. If they get the genre. And that's think, about your relationship with them or your history with them or your history with them, if they sort of if they sort of trust you, like you're saying, if they trust you to, to create something, great. Um, if they if you've got good talent and a lot of it comes from the talent, I'm a massive advocate of letting your talent flourish within a show, not trying to sort of overproduce them like I remember when I was first a producer, I was quite young and I was doing one of these topical comedy nightly shows uh, called The Tonightly Show to launch Jason Manford. And I was doing all Jack Whitehall's bits. I think I was pretty young. And I think my role as a producer then, I didn't really get, you know, you, you, get, you get what your role is and it's not to sort of go, don't do that, do that. It's just sort of to steer what you think will be allowed. Um, stop them from killing people. And stop them from killing people and saying, you know, <laughs> swear words. I remember Frankie Boyle once doing a little teardrop minutes before we went on air. And you go, you know, what did that mean? Something like, what does it mean, that teardrop thing? I mean, I've just murdered someone. Oh, yeah. yeah I think it's Something that. like that. And I thought, what's that? What is that thing he's just done? And you know it's Frankie's going to piss about. But it's like, yeah, it's sort of learning that, getting, and getting commissioners to sort of trust you to sort of know what you can do. I think that's really important being able to say it. But then revolution will, will, will be televised. <laughs> televised is something where that's... Because there's one thing taking well-known and established talent yeah. and saying, right, OK, we're going to build something around this person, you know what they do, mm. it'll be all right. But then taking something that is... Well, that was a really interesting experience with taking two people who um, uh, sort of didn't work in television and had done all their stuff, you know, they'd done all their, all their stuff was viral. It was on, on a sort of Don't Panic website that they, they both worked on. Julian and Hayden, and it was so interesting introducing them to Channel 4. And um, there were some great ideas, and there were some great sort of, you know, there's some really, really, really funny and ballsy hits that they were good at doing, all planned out. And it was this meeting, the first meeting we had with Shane Allen when he was at Channel 4, and various people there, was all about just getting those hits signed off. And some of them were quite risky. It was a really neat one that we were never able to do, which was to, you know, the blue packs that you see on, um, Engl on you know, English heritage buildings, was to put one on Andy Coulson's house with his actual mobile phone number <laughs> <laughs> on the plaque. And um, anyway, so we're in this meeting. It's a very important meeting to get everything sort of signed off. And Jollyon was obsessing about which dubstep track could be put on the edit. And <laughs> sort of hijacked it for 20 minutes to talk about that. Uh, but... But it was that raw enthusiasm and energy from them that sort of cut through and, and you know, took fantastic producing from Mark Talbot particularly to, to sort of refine and hone that and make it fast-paced and, and get around their, the things they weren't great at and concentrate on the things that they were. But, um, but that was another thing where that was obviously for Channel 4 and they turned it down. And then you hear talk of a meeting at Channel 4 a couple of years later going, we need our answer to the revolution will be televised. And we're like, yeah. you had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But no. But that's a gamble, isn't it? It's it is a gamble. Like a real gamble. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's I mean, it's, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's a great show. Whoever took it in the first place and just said, actually, you know. Yeah. Again, it's, it is about trust. Mm. It, it is. About excitement. I mean, you know, it's, it is interesting how we're going for, when's Jonathan Pye on TV? Mm -hmm. you know, he's, he just seems to be someone that I just, you hear his eloquence yeah. and you think, well, you know, he's either too smart to be on TV because, it, you know, he's got his own focus and his way of doing something. But it is a gen whenever you see genuine, I don't know, just is, you know, it's talent is such a no views yeah. word. But actually, you just think, well, actually, it's genuinely exciting to think here is something that is exciting mm. and different and new. With a different and voice. Kind of dangerous. It is, mm. you know, it is, it's hats off to, you know, 
Lee Nelson, I'll always call him, doing that thing with, with <laughs> the P45, <laughs> things like that, where you think, God, that's not even mm. for TV. Mm. It's just something which is utterly terrifying. That's his hobby. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's just like you know, Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> what um, was it... it what was it for? I assumed that he had something I don't think for so. it. No, it wasn't. Well, no, no, no. Well, if the story is to be believed, I think he was. Didn't he not have something, and now he has got it again as a result of doing it? Oh, right, that, I okay. I think. All the more curious so, uh, to him than really. I mean, really. a publicity stunt, but nothing wrong with that. No. I don't know whether he did the fuzzy felt letters. I don't know whether that was him or... God. Oh, God. But then again, you know, it's, it is that thing like working with talent, like Charlie Brooker is, you know, generally a, a god. And, you know, and bringing in and working with someone like that, you sort of think, well, everything he does is, is, uh, is, is got to be on TV. Well, and though I guess I'm, I'm thinking aloud, so that's, that's my klaxon, um, and this might be, be, be nonsense, but just thinking about um, this aspect of trust and uh, strong-flavoured, like, Jolyon um, uh, voices who haven't got the experience, the ones that do, there is a certain amount of trust from a channel... So Charlie is, to some extent, when he does things on the BBC, allowed to get on with it. Um, I don't know if this uh, if this is in the the right genre, but I I also did a few years as the question editor of of Only Connect, and um, Victoria is also a strong flavour, as they say in the industry, and and she is sort of allowed to to get on with to get on with it, and and to say some things that probably would not get through committee. Mm -hmm. Um, committee writing. Yeah. There, there, there is a sort of, there are a few, and possibly not enough, um, sort of strongly authored presenters who, um, who do elicit a, a trust, I guess, from channels because, because it's evident that that program wouldn't be what it was without Charlie talking in his way, or Victoria talking in her way, or uh, doing some things that not everyone will get. So we should talk a bit more about working with a strong voice as a writer. You know, I mean, because obviously you work with a lot of people that are strong, vo strong voices. And we have a little clip of Charlie Brooker. Can I see that first? Yeah, I guess the tea, the tea up to this, if there is one, probably overlaps with what Joe was saying about Grenfell, that every, it's now more often yearly than weekly on the Charlie Brooker White programmes, but at the beginning of any of those production things, there's this sort of awful half hour of everyone going, Jesus Christ, how are we going to make this funny? Um, look, look at the news. And um, so I chose a clip that was about something horribly grim. <laughs> <laughs> Comedy entertainment. <laughs> anyway, just as I was really getting into hating the migrants, there was a massive twist that I hadn't seen coming. When the police arrived here this morning, they found several drowning victims. Among them, a toddler, a child of perhaps two years of age. This boat sank, and there was a photo of a little boy lying dead on the beach. And he looked just like a real human, because he was. And then I thought, wait a minute, what if they're all real humans? And then I thought, oh my God, that'd be awful. I mean, if that was true, this whole thing would be an unprecedented crisis. And to their credit, after that photo, the papers did some investigating and found out the migrants were real people, so their coverage totally changed. They realised they got it wrong, so they started shouting at David Cameron to do something about it, to give them a home. Today I can announce that we will do more, providing resettlement for thousands more Syrian refugees. 
I feel sorry for him, because he's only just found out they were humans too, you know? Everyone was caught me off here. The news had all this footage of them all desperately squeezing onto trains and marching on foot in huge snaking columns. But now it looks sort of different, less swarmy and threatening, and more harrowing and urgent and sad. And the clever thing was, it was the same sort of pictures you'd seen earlier, but now you knew the twist about them being humans, it seemed totally different. It was like the white and gold dress. Once it's flipped to blue and black and red, that's it. You can't see it any other way forever. <laughs> well, until Paris happened. Then they went back to being a swarm of bastards and criminals again. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I mean, I mean, for me, the brilliance of that is it's kind of, it's kind of like Harry Hill. Harry Hill um, changed the way I watch TV. It's one of those things where someone speaks so eloquently and shows you a way of looking at something that you know you might think yourself, but you can. I mean, you know, I'll just shamble along a bit. Where actually, you know, putting your finger on something that is so deep and really funny. <laughs> It's, you know, that's a, that's a dirty trick. It's a brilliant thing. Yeah, it's... So, Shippies and Kunk, I guess, developed in... Do jobs now that they weren't originally intended to do. So, Barry Shippies was originally... It was sort of a parody of those I Love 1978-type shows. And he was the director. Yeah. And he was the director. It was cheap. A very good one. And, yeah, so that was, um, obviously, uh, very good in budget terms. And... Um, but I suppose what he is... A, allowed that show to do. So Charlie will have to occasionally talk about one of the sad things himself, and that can only go on for so long because of his on-screen persona is not going to be particularly serious for that long. Whereas um, I guess Shippies and Kunk allow, allow that show... It's a, it's a bit like the Stephen Colbert character. Um, it, it allows a, a voice who's not getting things in the, in the, in the correct way um, to bang on for a bit. And neither of them are dreadful people, um, and neither of them, I, I don't think, is a, is a sort of parody of, in their reactionary view, they're just sort of struggling to keep up with this bombardment of, of, of stuff, I think. Well, you know, it's a brilliant device, I suppose, to sort of show, show us our own stupidity. You know, I mean that by as a collective human race thing, because we're mostly stupid. <laughs> but, is that, but it is just it's one of those things, because it is just so profoundly moving, and then you're laughing. So it just, it, it's really, you know, it's just pretty brutal skill. I mean, you know, in, in terms of, like, topical comedy, like Last Leg, how, how have we got any chance of making that? I mean, Charlie Brooker's going sort of once a year, or maybe, you know, short series or whatever, whilst that delivers one brutal lump, mm. it does sort of get him off the hook in a way because his currency is a summary. And so actually, I'm not saying it's easier because it's still really brutal and, and brilliant. But it is that thing where, you know, if, if topical comedy and satire, for both of you, to my left, topical comedy and satire, how, can we, how, how do we deal with it when, you know, everything is so immediate, everything is so instant, every gag is made before, you know, every gag is made about everything horrible, 20 minutes mm. after it's done. It was very hard. I mean, the, the, the trickiest show I think I've ever made almost was the, um, the day of Grenfell, or the day after it. We had, um, uh, we'd already uh, planned a Joe Cox memorial show. So, so it, and the mantra of the whole show was it's better, you know, we're stronger together. And it was, you know, showing unity. Or, you know, 
funny. It was supposed to be funny. I hope it was funny. Um, but it was tricky, very tricky making that show, knowing that there were riots in Kensington at the very same time and not everyone was united. And I think we managed to reflect that in the show, but it, those bits weren't particularly funny, I don't think, those honest bits. There were, there were a lot of funny, honest bits, but those bits weren't because it was very hard to address that. But I think it was important that we did try. And I think, I, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I think that... Um, it's interesting, in, there's an article in The Guardian earlier in the week saying that Jimmy Fallon's ratings are falling whilst the other talk shows are rising because they sort of deal with Trump head on and they, no matter what the news is, they deal with it, even if it isn't particularly funny. And I think, you know, maybe in our days it is important to do that more than it has been in the past. And I think that that's what The Last Leg's done well. It's a sort of, you know, it's by terrible coincidence it seemed that ISIS would always do something sort of midway through Friday which, not to be selfish, was enormously inconvenient. <laughs> um, and, um, um, but, you know, we just kept dealing with it and putting it in the show, rightly or wrongly. Because I, I don't know, I still don't know the answer to whether or not if you turn on the television at 10 o'clock, you want to be reminded of something terrible or, you want to, or you'd rather forget. But in the hands of Adam, who's Adam Hills is a, a, a tremendously talented person that's sort of navigating tone. So, you know, he's able to make a, you know, profoundly moving speech on the death on the day that Joe Cox was shot and then make a brilliant joke about Donald Trump three sentences later and it isn't it isn't queasy or do you, do you think audiences are now uh, viewers are they're kind of familiar with a gear change aren't they and I think <clears throat> I think in the current climate more than ever I think people understand that those gear changes have to happen so within a show that you're tuning into because generally you're looking for a bit of a laugh and a look back at the week. Mm. You also understand that, that... I mean, it's weird because there are some stories we would completely ignore on Have I Got News View, and, and that would be... Well, I mean, we probably would, and that would be things that were sort of kind of... I, I think when one of the jets disappeared, I don't know if it was in the week of, but you kind of think there's, there's nothing to be said, there's nothing for us to say mm. about this. We don't quite know what's happened. There's certainly no angle that's going to be anything other than grim. And so is it better to kind of leave that and put that to one side? And that's actually the decision that we made with Grenfell. But we didn't, because legally it was tricky. There were no conclusions mm. to be drawn that soon after it. And there wasn't any angle that you could have. And the thing about a terrorist attack is that you can be defiant, and that's a good thing mm. to be, and people quite like that. So you can acknowledge it, and then you can say, but because we have our liberty and our freedom, we can continue on, and we're not going to be silent. So mm. at least there's some kind of... Then you do a sort of slightly massive gear change, mm. but I think people understand it's, that... It's that one of those things. I mean, Grenfell was awful, do. but I remember there was one, you know, there was, you think in the mid that tragedy, tragedy what could possibly be be funny but then there was the the clip of the brilliant people cheering on the ambulances as they left and they just happened to be in a cardo van behind they got the biggest cheer <laughs> a delivery see, van my, ever got well, which is which I don't could know when in clear. the time frame you were broadcasting but we were well, we went out on a Friday. We were recording on a Thursday, and I think it either and happened on the Wednesday or the Thursday. And that's, I genuinely yep. thought we shouldn't be doing and a I show. And I think that's, the, that's a crucial difference. I just couldn't think what we were but doing. I, think that's I didn't want to. The other thing that we we often, and I think that week was one of the many weeks where we had a conversation saying, well, if we're doing the show today, we might not mention yeah. it. And the joy of live broadcasting is it's that tragedy you, you, plus time, and you don't need much time. It's not only that, but, it, but it, it's, it's also the fact that you know the mood of the nation 
when you make when at you transmit point. the joke, yeah, and, yeah. and that is something that's a privilege of. I think the mood was so utterly grim, understandably, that yeah. I just thought, I, I, I can't even do a gear change. I don't want to do a gear mm. change. I just don't want to be doing this. Anyway, it was a large, poor old adult Ray. Doesn't look anything like Citizen Khan, by the way. Um, <laughs> Did you do the hacking up? In a good way. Uh, he had to host the show. It was, mm. yeah, God, bloody nightmare. Anyway, just to go back onto something a bit more um, sort of... Possibly controversial and less depressing. <laughs> oh, it was your your <laughs> first my down I'm so down a clip, which was actually quite funny. <laughs> but it's on the subject of the Charlie Brookers and the Adam Hills. Just something to ask is that I slightly sense, I slightly sense a, um, is there has there been a move towards men sitting behind desks and talking at me? Just a little bit. You mean there's author, a lot of it around. An authored, mm. a personal authored view. Um, in the I Jimmy think comedians feel because of the because of the. Um, I think comedians today are very engaged with politics and with world events and good. By the way, no problem with that. But I think that there is. It, it, I don't know. I mean, it's a question actually. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with it, and I make those programs myself. But. There seems to, at the moment, be quite a lot of not new ways of doing things. It's another bloke sitting behind a desk, and it does tend to be a bloke. He does tend to be telling me things I already know because I read Twitter and The Guardian and occasionally an article from The New York Times. Mm -hmm. And there's a, just a slight danger, I think, that it can become a bit messianic, a little bit sort of... I've got a message that I want to put mm. out there. And I think we mustn't forget that it is supposed to also be funny, but sometimes it's difficult with the news. I do get that. That's Yeah, I mean, I would guess if, if you got a kind of spreadsheet and fed the script of a Charlie Brooker yearly wipe into it, the proportion of your mum jokes and puns would be much higher than anything. I think it, mm. he's, it's partly a reputation Thing and partly um, that, that some of the more opinionated authored stuff maybe just is more memorable. Um, but yeah, television certainly is, is, is full of middle-aged chaps telling mm. you what they think. But the joy of, you know, the, the, I think the joy of The Last Leg is that if, Adam, if, if, if that is the feeling um, that you get from watching it, he'll be brought down to earth with a terribly rude joke by Alex mm. or Josh. So it's not like mm. an American show where you just do get exactly yeah. that. I'm going to give you my thoughts and you're going to have to absorb them and there's yeah. no room for debate. There's someone calling you a cock just after <laughs> you've said it. Yeah. For, 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 for whatever reason. And so it has that at least... There that. are checks and balances. Exactly. And, yeah. exactly. But, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because the difference between uh, Have I Got News For You and, and Last Leg is that thing where Last Leg feels more authored, albeit with a, with a, um, uh, a chorus baying against it. Whereas Have I Got News For You feels like mm. it is a panel show and so therefore you know, there, there are so many different things going on. Mm. It's not just the views of uh, the host or the other people. It does feel like you know, there is that smatter across mm. the panel which, who bring their own things to, things to the, the, the party, really. And I think that, that feeling is they're two very different shows, both of which you know, they have a place. I mean, we've got a clip we should, we should get into The Last Leg, but you know, we, should, we basically need a show called Where's the Effing News, I think. That's we what we need. Yes. Yeah. Need more. I mean, woman. I do. I know it's a bit boring. I don't want to be killjoy feminist, but I, I do feel a little bit at the moment that there are a lot of, and I think things are changing, by the way. But it's just that it's because it's not just in comedy; it's also in 
politics and it's also in programmes about politics. So if, like me, you're kind of interested in that area of things, it does sometimes appear to be really male-dominated and men do tend to shout. And so I just sometimes feel a little bit, stop telling me things. Yeah, yeah. for topical or if you're and satire, tell me things, I make think sure you're I absolutely laugh. right. Topical and satire, I think, still is quite dominated by men. Uh, it would be, it's harder, I think, to get people on board with an idea that is fronted by... Well, I don't know if you found that, but I find, I find it. Uh, that said, I am now working with a comedian uh, to do a show which is sort of more comedy entertainment but in a sort of more game show space. Mm. Uh, because I sort of feel like after Taskmaster and things like that, and it, it's, it's escapist, but it's also lovely and warm and uplifting, I think, at the moment. What people are interested in is a bit more of that mm. um, and a bit less of the satire. I found. And also something that's within a format, because a panel show yeah. requires incredibly specific skills. Yeah. And you do see the same people on them because it's really difficult yeah. to do. Yeah. They're very good at it. Yeah. And I think sometimes people, again, just to defend this slightly out of fashion format, it's, um, it's not easy to pull off. And when people say, oh, why do you keep it well? Because they no. can say something incredibly incisive and funny, but they yeah. can do it in 15 seconds. Yes. So. But you have to be good at it. But Having done those as well, you have to be good at doing yes, that. Yes, exactly. It is a route. And so you we need other formats. That. That are, so where are the yeah. things where people that are not comedians yeah. necessarily, but they're funny? Well, they are the comedians, but they're sometimes. more discursive. Yeah, yeah, and they chat and they're funny and they're sort of interesting. Like putting maggot and stuff on there, mm. comedians... I think, that, I think that comics need that. They need people that are not comedians to bounce off against. I really believe that. There needs to be a few more formats where that can happen. Well, actually, as we've found, often the non-comedians are significantly funny mm. than the professional oh, yeah. comedians. So yeah. there's no rule that says, unless you're called a comedian, you're not allowed totally. to be funny, and it's often... Yeah, yeah. But that's, I mean, if... if, if, if is it easy to say there's an appetite for that? I mean, because that, that's generally exciting, because mm. there is space for the panel show. The alternative panel show, I, I, you know, titles are really hard to sort of get in, but you mm. know, but particularly if we have a, a fractioning of the audience, if we have more, more of a choice, mm. you know, because that's effectively what we've got. Yeah. Is it is it is it is the time now for a change? You know, is, does it fit? Do you really feel like there's an appetite for that? What to move away from? To move away from men shouting in trousers. Oh, God. They may not I mean, be wearing Well, that, absolutely, but I, I do... I mean, just to say that I also have an enormous regard for this. It's not that I no, no, don't want to see them, I but, I, but, I, but I, I still think even now that actually more now than... I think every time you look at a Brexit story, they're all men. Every time you look at a Trump thing where they're usually abolishing anybody's rights to abortion... They're all men, and, and then I watch Question Time, and there's some old bloke who's 75, you never see a woman of that age. Um, <laughs> and the panel, not just panel shows, but also those sort of current affairs panels. Don't tell me you can't find some women there. At least we've got the excuse of I was possibly not having quite so many women interested in topical comedy. I was pushing my daughter on the swings um, about a month ago, and I overheard a voice, who shall remain nameless, but I recognised that voice, and that voice was moaning about having to have a second woman on his panel show. And it was someone who's behind one of the biggest panel shows. And it was amazing to hear that in the park, such as this conversation <laughs> is really happening, weird. wherever you go. Well, you probably... Well, no, I, but I do think... Well, I think things are changing because they've been told they have to. So, you know, like I'm a yeah. fan of quotas. I think unless someone's made to do something, it doesn't happen. I also am incredibly... You know, I do sort of understand the 
practicalities of that. And I think w until we, mm. what we need to do is to have a, a range of programmes that are bringing, what we need is some new talent of mm. both genders. That's what we need. Yeah. And in this trawl to get some new faces, new voices, that's where that diversity needs to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that it is definitely moving the right direction, but it hasn't done that yet yeah, yeah, yeah. by any means. I think you're right, that quite sinister... Somebody did a brilliant but quite sinister thing of a snapshot of every panel show lineup. One non-white face, one woman. Yeah. Ideally in the same person, so <laughs> that we can have six white blokes. And when you see that, and it doesn't matter what panel show you look at, you think, oh, God, this really is terrible. This is terrible. Yeah, and things so have changed. Things have come change. on. Like I used yeah. to do casting and booking. I've cast quite a lot of those shows that were under the radar that I really gave a shit about years ago. A show called Thank You, which gave rise to quite a few people. Cast that. Um, and I remember at the time, it was very much like, where are the women? It was absolutely... It was so hard to find people. To, we, we would workshop, get loads of people in, and then we would kind of... It was a show where they just, took, it was called FAQU, and just asked questions and chat, basically. But it was a great show because it was under the radar. No one cared about it. We could just get on with it, get new people on it. At the time, it was hard. And it, it was an all-male team, actually. Actually, yeah. Uh, and things have changed. And I think that now you can totally, totally build an even keel with those things. But I think there just needs to be a few more slots for shows like that now. There aren't really the slots and I think that's been really difficult over the past five years, maybe. And I do think now that there's sort of renaissance because, because, as you say, there's more channels, there's more choice, there's more shows. And I think now you can have your say if you're just a funny person. It doesn't really matter anymore. I think what's really important is that it's not only the opportunity, it's also the opportunity, opportunity to fail. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the crucial thing Definitely. because, you know, otherwise, you know, something goes up and it's lukewarm or whatever and it shows potential and then it's killed off yeah. very quickly. Um, Two half-baked and very short thoughts which um, only have any um, relevance if I say them immediately after someone said something <laughs> that they relate to. I can't uh, so wait to hear what they are. <laughs> well, one is on the subject of gender, I found it interesting. So I've, I, I've come from uh, Have I Got News For You Writer's Room and what I found very interesting today was that Harvey Weinstein kept popping up as a possible punchline, as a possible part of a joke as a possible this and that and the other. And um, thank God for James Corden having demonstrated <laughs> how to get this so badly wrong and then double down on it and, and how to, to pitch it wrong and have jokes that wouldn't be funny even if they weren't offensive and with the wrong people um, is the victims of these jokes because that, that just helped us kind of... I think there was, there was one left and he's not even mentioned by name and I think it's quite good. I don't know if it will be in the show. But, um, <laughs> all group efforts, of course. Um, yeah. that, Unless that I found interesting. I don't know if there's do, a bit. Do, do you think you would find it... How many women were in that writing room? The usual amount. None. None. Zero, yeah. And yeah. That, that's, but the, the thing is... Apart from the lady who The, the reason that... So you're, you're doing something. This is don't why... do copies. What did you... No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, this is why I think I some... I merely benefit from, you know, I don't... No, and also, <laughs> by the way, it's not because there are loads of women writing very structured uh, gags for the ends of the rounds in Have I Got News For You, which is an absolute 
skill, uh, uh, which I, you know, it, it's very difficult to do. Um, it's, it's not that there are hordes of women that we're simply not allowing into the room. Um, and if only there were more. But what's interesting is that at the moment, there just aren't. I mean, sim simple as that. There are a few, but very, very few uh, as a percentage of... Because there are very few, actually, very good male gag writers. I'm one of them, but... Um, it's just a tricky skill. Anyway, the point is, that's, where, that's why things need to change. Because when you have subjects like that... Um, and, and not, not only, but when you do, you, you never have a female voice mm. there. I mean, it's predominantly male produced. It's got all, mm. it's got both male team captains it, mm. and all the writers are men. Mm. Mm. And this is why I feel a little bit um, that I, I work on that show. I'm the sort of part of the, you know, I should be, why is it like that? Why do I feel so angry about it? And yet I'm still working with that because it's really difficult to change things. So hence the sort of Radio 4 thing where I'm... Because you can't just parachute people into those shows, and that's the problem mm. as well, that a lot of women are put onto these quite exposed, big shows, which, whether they were male or female, they'd be bloody nervous going on there. Um, and it, it's in at the deep end, and you just need to find a lot more talent, both writing and performing, but you need... What, what's called, you know, you need a, a more forgiving environment or a less mm. exposed environment, then bring them on, and then you've got more people to we, we shove found, into your writer's room and on the panel. We found with The Last Leg, because it's written in a more um, sort of collaborative way with, the, with everyone sat around this table in an open plan office, um, um, it, was, it, was, it was good, because people would not necessarily come up to the table and pitch jokes, but the writing table sort of spawned a brilliant WhatsApp group that the whole team were on. And because that exists outside of the writing room, because people notice things and tweet jokes after the day, and um, because of that, the democracy almost of, of how that WhatsApp group works, we've now sort of got, there's a new girl, female writer, who's joined the writing team, which is brilliant. And, and, and I, you know, I think there are now, I know, I'm not saying WhatsApp is the answer, but there are different ways of pitching jokes that, 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 that and I don't think that doesn't matter which gender you are, it's a, it's, it, the writing is incredibly difficult to break into. There's no real sort mm. of, you know, youth apprenticeship or whatever. And, and, and it's nice when, uh, you know, someone can make everyone laugh and then get a job doing that. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, absolutely. But also more female producers, I think, because it, you don't necessarily need to be in the writing room, but if you're the producer, those jokes are going to come through you and that's where you will think, I'm not sure about the tone of that. Or, you know, you're maybe bringing a, a slightly different angle to it so mm. you will have a different view of something so and actually again looking at panel shows in particular um they're very heavily male produced and you think i don't know you know yeah they are i mean i've been in those writers rooms yeah. before it's, it's as a weird writer and we, need, as we just need to get more women you know, into them and i don't all the notes it's hard it's hard <laughs> you've got it's a very robust environment get, but you know. i'm a firm believer that women are pretty robust i mean that's not going to be the issue yeah. I don't know what it is. But that is topical comedy. I think there's a, that is a very different beast, I think, writing jokes. Well, if you top, look at topical the producers across hot. other non-complete, you know, yeah. all, all the usual favourites, um, yeah. very, very, very largely male produced. Not always. There's one that's kind of half and half. Yeah. But most are Half and half a man or what? They have six producer credits and three of them are female, oh. three are male. But that's, that's unusual. And there's... There are possible reasons why there are fewer stand-up female comedians. It's an interesting debate. 
Well, the last leg is now but four to one. Producers is a whole different female thing. to male. Three Sorry. to one. Three to one on the last leg now. Mm. Oh, I've left. Yeah. And a woman has taken my job. Taking my job. Take my job. Take my job. Um, but but no, there's the three, you know, exec to producer three, three to one in in front. Well, that matches up with your. Three white male. Yeah, exactly. Presenters. But they're so that's missing bits of their bodies. To and that's great. So, <laughs> let, you know, because nobody wants to say, oh, we don't want, you know, no, no. there's none of that. It's just you want a more, a healthy mix. Mm. I saw an image, uh, this will be quick, I promise. Um, <laughs> this is the second half later. <laughs> I saw an image on Twitter that um, someone had retweeted, and it was a, um, an American woman who had posted the, a contract that she declined to sign to work on a kind of lively American sports discussion show. Um, and uh, she had to, to agree that, that she would be working in an environment where offensive things would be said. And, and, and then I went further into the tube and I wasn't able to, to get any more context. So I was left wondering, is this um, either... It, it could simultaneously have been a horrendous contract of saying, if, you, if someone makes inappropriate remarks about you, you have signed away your right to do anything about this. Or it could have been a, do you know what? The writer's room is going to have half an hour making the worst jokes, the most offensive jokes that they can, and then they get them all out of their system, and that's how we end up with a broadcastable programme. And it, it's a sort of Schrodinger's contract in my head, and I've never followed it up, but it could equally have been either of those. So I didn't know whether to be sort of appalled by it or appalled that anyone would object to it. God, it's just a wish it was... I would say if you're, if no, you're easily offended, probably the world of comedy. Yeah. Is just, <laughs> I mean, if you are going to be precious, yeah, I think then, you know, which isn't to say, you, know, you can do your filtering out, you can do whatever you like, but if you're going to be offended by hearing it... Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know. Particularly until about 10.35, I'd say, yeah. of a morning. Yeah, beginning of the day, <laughs> all the fucking awful shit comes out. <laughs> and then you go, and then you're like, okay, this is okay. But you said it was a, well, I mean, that's certainly not a male preserve either. We're not, no. you know, I don't Men think, we're not Victorians yeah. with the vapours. So I think <laughs> offensiveness. So moving on to the tone of, of comedy entertainment. So we have Ben's clip. Do you want to give us a little intro to this? Uh, yeah, well, just this was in response to the notion that um, uh, sort of uh, comedy entertainment is sort of cosy, and there isn't there isn't um, anyone being rude. Uh, here's a, a clip of Alex Brooker being you. fantastically rude to a politician. Hey, that pretty mastermind. Yeah, well, it's one to take the guarantee this year, isn't it? <laughs> 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 this is, I want you to, I want, clearly, I want to, it's right, I want to, you don't listen to the disabled, do you? So. <laughs> <laughs> 
On a scale of one to ten, with one being couldn't give a toss, ten, literally you cannot sleep at night, how shitty do you feel about what you did with the tuition fees? Uh, wow. Uh, uh, I'm not Prime Minister, so, you know, can't do everything I want. You know, but, like, if, if Mum had a funny, he'd be my aunt. You can't blame other people. <laughs> I'm not blaming other people, I just, um, I've got 9% of all MPs now as a commons of Lib Dems, so you can't do everything you want. I mean, you know, if you want to shit the bone, how shit do you feel about it? It doesn't affect how shit Of course I don't, of course you don't. One to ten. Uh, how, what was the, which was one, which was ten? One is you don't give a task. Ten is oh, no, you no, really no, got no, 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 Nine and a half. Ooh. I'm sure the students have been giving that. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so, because uh, there is a way of, you know, I know a, a lot of um, TV is sort of, uh, you know, political comedy or TV across the board, comedy entertainment is cosier, but I think that, you know, every now and again, it's possible to be rude <laughs> in a good way. But I'm not sure, it's not the meanness, perhaps, that Buzzcocks had, which I loved. I mean, I loved Mark Lamar in that, in that heyday. But I think, it, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting thing. It was interesting that the Deputy Prime Minister was willing to come on the show and and face that abuse. <laughs> um, um, and, um, foolish. Foolish, you might think, yeah. Uh, but uh, he'd made other errors in his career, and that was just one of them. Um, but no, I think, you know, I think there's, there's, I think it's great. I think what you were saying earlier, Poppy, about having a mixture of non-comedians and comedians is always the best sort of recipe mm. or whatever for a television show. And um, it's, it was just a great, a great thing to have someone of that... Um, stature then to come on a comedy entertainment show and I know that you know during the broadcast it it was there was a, there was a sort of sense maybe he he crossed a line and it was a bit too rude but I think afterwards people thought no it's good you know he's a politician who's lied to everybody and he faces his comeuppance on television I think that have I got news for you is great at doing that and I think that it's it's good that there is still and an arena in which people enjoy watching um, politicians squirming silence. The, the, the problem, slightly, is that you, you, you admire him for agreeing to go on. Mm. Because, so you, you, you know, the, the thing about trying to book politicians is it, it's incredibly difficult because so few of them are, are mm. either that sort of stupid or that brave, however you want to interpret it, and they just won't come on. So, again, which is why you see the familiar faces of the people that have got an agenda, want to promote it, or, or just or, or enjoy it, or think they'll be all right. Um, but it's it's difficult to get them on. But certainly when they do, you should. That's good. Do that. Well, they're politicians. He won't have lost any sleep about that. Certainly I'm not. I'm afraid that won't be the first time he's had tuition fees thrown at him. That's the first rule of comedy, though, isn't it? It's like pick your target. I was told that by I think Dom English, and he was um, not writing, which he does now as a writer. But he was like, pick your target, that's the first rule of comedy. And actually, that really stuck with me. It's like, we shouldn't be laughing at people, we shouldn't be taking the piss out of people unless they can come back mm. and they've done something, or it's sort of getting into the public consciousness, you know? I think that's important. I think that's a really good testament. There was a nice narrative arc to that show in which, before the show, we ran past Nick Clegg, would you be willing to throw a watermelon at Alex Brooker? And he said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not throwing a watermelon at a disabled man on television. And that segment annoyed him to the point where he did live on the show, throw a little bit of watermelon out. Brilliant. Um, brilliant. OK, well, thank you all very much indeed. Uh, I'm running out of time, sorry, we've been blab blabbing on. So uh, some questions, please. So anyone, in, anyone out there? We've got microphones and everything. 
think they're all catatonically um, bored. Sorry, hi. Um, hi. Sorry, my ass is hurting. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. We have um, thrown on. <laughs> my name is Variety, uh, Variety DM, stand-up comedian, um, and I represent a lot of um, avenues. Not just the word diversity, because I always think of dancing, but I'm just going <laughs> to say it clearly. I represent black people, women, disabled, led um, uh, theatre and stuff, and also the younger people. Um, and I've noticed that in Britain, comedy, for me personally, is getting kind of boring on our TVs. And um, I did some research, and I've never seen a panel where it's a fully um, black panel, you know, talking about some things that we can relate to, you know. I mean, I saw ITV do a little commission to it last year, um, Black History Month, but they keep doing it all the time, and it's becoming predictable. Um, do you think there's any chance we could have our own, like, panel shows, you know, for six months. <laughs> <laughs> not just a special week every year. No, no, not Black History Month, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that in the same way that I think we're having, to, or the industry is having to be sort of made to have more women, I think the same guidelines mm. are being put in about, because we're not seeing any progress. Yeah, or not enough. I'm so glad, I think there's some that. recent guidelines last mm. week, maybe from Ofcom, which have yeah. have said that they've set the BBC their toughest, most toughest, most tough, whatever the grammar yeah, is, diversity yeah. strategy yeah. yet. That Although I did notice that that Ofcom board was made up of six men and two women. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm glad you said that because yeah. I'm trying to do a, doc a documentary um, which is influenced by another documentary in America called All Jokes Aside from VH1. And it's based on solely um, black comedians. So like from like Whoopi Goldberg to um, a couple of comedians from um, the film Girls, uh, Girls Trip. Um, and yeah, and I looked at it and I said to myself, because I was in LA at the time uh, during pilot season uh, last year. And I said, raw, the UK don't have none of that. And like, I tried to think of many black comedians who have, uh, who have been in the mainstream. All I can think of is Jeannie Ashere and Andy Osho. Mm. There's only two I can think of. Both of whom went to America, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, got Andy, to meet one of them, but yeah. She did the Tonightly the Show tightly. with Jason, with us, Andy. And she's great. She's gone, yeah, she's totally gone to America yeah. now. She so I spoke to her. Theatre kind of. Yeah, intense. yeah, yeah, different avenue. Yeah. I think I, it's getting better. I think it's getting a bit better. Uh, I think UTC are a good agency. Which one? Oh, yes, UTC. UTC. Yeah, I spoke to them as well. They've got my friend Mo the Comedian up there, yeah. so he's kicking it. Mo so. Gilligan. Mo's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think things are changing. Mm -hmm. I think things are better. I remember, because I remember I did small stuff with Ricky Melvin. That was actually a bit different because, you know, they're both black and there was no representation, uh, yeah. I don't think, at the time. Uh, and I think it's just sort of keep pushing on, isn't it, really? A lot of stuff in scripted it seems to be gaining mm. pace. I think, with Dane Baptiste. But I think, I think yeah. yeah, we need to sort of do a lot more. But there's not a lot going at the moment. And hopefully, with this new renaissance, we'll get some more things that are sort of reflective, a bit more reflective, because mm -hmm. it's not at the moment. So could I email you if you look for any of my ideas, any treatments? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. Definitely. Right, cool, yeah. thank you. That's all I need, right? There we go. <laughs> I've got a job for Christmas, yes. Thank you. And, uh, just in there. Thanks. Um, just want to second uh, your thought on diversity in 
comedy altogether for everyone who isn't white or black. Um, it's, we just don't exist in the media, so it's good to just get any kind of representation at all, anyone we can identify with, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to um, talk about a point that Poppy and Joe brought up about uh, more naturalistic, uh, improvised humour and a move away from static comedy and the renaissance of comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, that kind of sounds like it's leading to, you know, alternative formats like comedy, podcasting, mm -hmm. and radio. Uh, I just wanted to know your thoughts on uh, how the renaissance of comedy entertainment is affecting those kind of kinds of mediums. Mm. I'm interested if they're, they're affecting it the other way round. Yeah. I wonder. I I don't know how how big audiences for podcasts are. I listen to quite. a, a lot of them i guess because there's yeah. quite a lot of um of topical comedy ones mm. which is, is what i'm interested in there's one called strong and stable that is sort of getting more serious the more it goes on that's often hosted by david schneider um but yeah i wonder whether that the whether that the more discursive nature of a podcast which mm. partly with a tv head on i'm sometimes thinking okay wrap it up let's move <laughs> on to the next thing what do you mean it's 45 yeah. minutes now i haven't got that much time i wonder whether that has had an effect on audiences and and uh, isn't i mean the bottom line is everybody i mean a lot of the discussion here is everybody wants talent everyone wants to you know wants to bring talent forward whether it's using established talent or whether it's developing and bring on, on new talent and i think anything that gives you an opportunity to have a voice be it a pod podcast be it you know whatever your your youtube channel mm. and and it's difficult because everyone can do it and so, you know, the, the market is massive and wide, but at the same time, distinctive voices that come through that do have an opportunity, in it. and it's a brilliant showcase in a way, you know, and that is something that's very new. And I think with, you know, I do, I'm just a profound optimist. I do believe that things are changing. I do think that the world is here for us to make it better, and that we are able to do that. And, you know, we have kicks in the faces every now and again, but actually, I think the opportunities are there because there is, there is a range, I was going to say diversity, there is a, a range of, of offerings that we that we encounter and obviously the problem is on one hand you're getting more channels and more supposed more opportunities but uh, at the same time with a shrinking market you then have people that are less willing to take risks with new people and so you know it's a dilemma between those two mm -hmm. things but I, I honestly believe that if you've got a strong voice that comes through in any medium mm. the chances are well it gives you more ammunition to be heard and so I think anything that progresses your voice, particularly as a writer, particularly as a performer, you know, if you want to be a writer and you're knocking on the door and you say, give me a job as a writer, then you're not going to, you know, it's not going to happen. Um, if, you've got, if you've got a table where you, can, where you can display your wares, be it a podcast, be it a, a mm. vlog or whatever the young people call it, call it you know, I think you, there is a genuine opportunity because, you know, it's, it is a time when you can be heard and, and, and that is only, it's very recent, really. Yeah. In terms of anyone can do it, it's there. It's not to say it's going to be heard because it can just disappear into the ether. But I think it's a, you know it's a, an opportunity. And it's down to the people that are listening and watching. You know, I think I think in an archaic way, radio was a nursery slope for telly, mm. and a lot of that I think was dominated by a sort of very smart middle class white man. And I think now, because you've got YouTube as your sort of audience and all these different outlets it becomes quite real when you think about Facebook and, and all of the new sort of digital, and you know, the way things are massively changing, I think, quite quickly, with Facebook, Amazon, Apple TV coming, and 
Netflix, I think, I think like you say, people are going to rise to the surface because you can't ignore people with a voice and a talent that's very different to the way people would usually get into telly as talent. So I think it's really exciting, and I think this is quite new, and I think that's part and parcel why comedy entertainment's gathering pace, because I think people try to be funny in a world where shit's going down all the time, and I think that's why it's coming to the fore. What are you saying? Putting it out there. What were you saying earlier about uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the do a run through rather than a pilot? I mean, mm. podcasts are brilliant because you're not faffing about choosing a title <laughs> sequence or yeah. you know, what will the set look like. You're just writing the jokes. And I mean, look at John Oliver. Like, he did the bugle for years and years and years and years and years and refined and honed his comic voice. And then oh, Charlie Brooker, too. Yeah. And Charlie Brooker, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly. And radio. I did a thing with Charlie ages ago, radio. Song works right, this little thing that we did. And that was a voice because they believed in him as a talent. And radio is fab for that. Because they were like, just give them a platform, and then they did it on telly. It's brilliant. Brilliant. I'm afraid I'm allowed one more question. <laughs> Front and centre, the, the, the longest arm in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the fastest arm. I'm not going to stand up because I'm tired. So. I'm really sorry we have <laughs> gone on. Um, I kind of got like two questions wet in one. But um, obviously, I know it's kind of subjective, but like, what is funny to you guys? God. <laughs> yeah, because like, you must get a load of stuff and like everyone's humour is different, but what is funny to you guys? And also, how did you find your funny? Because like, a lot of people think they're funny, but they're not. So like, how did you kind of discover, yeah, I'm actually you know, kind of funny? So I want to know. I'm not funny. I just, get, I just okay. watch people do it. I film yeah. people that do it. It's really easy for me. I mean, it's, it's really tricky because everything's funny. That's the, you know, that's the brilliant thing. And, and it is that thing about, you know, the individual voice that breaks through. It, you know, it doesn't have to be a sort of authored and, and eloquent um, treatise. It's just sometimes people are funny. Sometimes people have funny bones. You know, Taskmaster, we have, I mean, I could, I could you know, old hand, but Bob Mortimer literally has funny bones. And, you know, you listen to anything that he says, literally I could, you could read a, the back of a tea packet, you know. It's, it, for me, funny is just everywhere. And it is about, you know, people like this just, just bring out the funny and, you know, uh, Charlie Brooke has changed how I watch TV, Harry Hill's changed. You see people that just are, whether it's an, an innate talent or whether it's something that's just, you know, made in a petri dish, petri dish of TV where you put things together and it makes a magic formula. I think, you know, I think people who've, who've got a voice, people that think they're funny, pursue it and they either find it or don't find it. <laughs> but, you know. but don't you... See, what I think is really interesting, and you mentioned it right near the beginning, is that actually if you were to... If, if, if I was to play you a run of jokes from Have I Got News For You and then you put them in order of your preference or ones you found funny or you didn't, no, no two people would probably come up with the same thing. And that's what's... Because every single person in this room will actually... You see, you find Bob Mortimer really funny. Some people might just not. I don't find surreal humour particularly funny, but some people really do. There are so many different types of comedy, and you can like lots of different types, but, but they are different. So it's, it's, that's what you, you can do something you think is funny and that you think mo other people will find funny, and then somebody reads that joke out, and it gets absolutely nothing, and you think, I don't understand that. What's happened there? It was funny on the page. It made me laugh. It made us laugh. It made the warm, you know, the audience there, mm. and then and then it, it it goes out and it just 
goes on nothing. Yeah. And, and there's no explanation for that. So I find it fascinating. But I actually think not everything is funny. I think being funny is quite difficult. And also, you can be funny in lots and lots of different ways. So uh, it's trying to actually, a lot of the time in TV, especially prime time, it's trying to please the majority of people. But our duty log, or whatever it's called, it's probably not called that, I've been called that since 1974, probably. But, you know, viewers <laughs> expressing their critical views of the show, you will have an equal number of people saying, I mean, I just didn't find that funny at all. And you will get the same number of people saying, that was a classic episode. I've never laughed so much. And they'll both be absolutely right. So it's a really tricky thing to get right. But the, 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 the talent that can command the money and that you see a lot of will be the ones that have, have got, generally, on the mainstream channels, have got broad appeal and, and you know. But what's nice is to get the quirkier voices and to make room for them and... Or like a cat. And you can be cats. both. Cats are funny mm. all the time. Yeah, I don't find cats at all funny. People falling I've over. I've never the problem. Well, on that note of, uh, of togetherness. I hate cats and they're not funny. I'm really, I need huh? to say this. Do you think it's right that you bring Nigel Farage, that you bring Rismov, that you bring Kevin DeLong, that maybe sometimes you bring Cathy Hopkins? I mean, I find this extremely offensive oh. to see them with other comics, and everybody's really cosy. I'm really, I mean... I am French, obviously, I have an agenda. Some people are from different um, you know, backgrounds. Um, when I see all these people on, on the, all the panel shows that you produce, and I see these people on stage, well, I have a few things to tell them. And sometimes I see me and it's stop and whatever, and everybody's laughing, ah, ha, ha, everybody's cozy, and some of them possibly even get fees for turning up. I find this, I am shocked. I'm really... I, you know, I want to vomit, to be honest with you. Okay, <laughs> so, so we shouldn't have I'm people... Not sure. Don't get me wrong, because I want no. to do what you're doing. I'm, I don't mean to silence you at all, but we have another event in here. I'm going to get into trouble really for running sorry. late already. So yeah, would yeah. you just come to the end of the stage and hopefully somebody will be able to answer your question for you? We need to start clearing. I'm so sorry. If you'd like so it, answer yeah. it. Thank, Thank you. you.